بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله We thank and we praise Allah Azza wa Jal for again gathering us <coughs> to meet and to uh, discuss his deen and to learn uh, his deen and specifically uh, that which is concerning his book, his perfect book, Alhamdulillah. So Alhamdulillah, this is Dars number three, lesson number three on the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran cause. And in the first two weeks, the first week we basically discussed the importance of uh, understanding the Quran, contemplating the meanings of the Quran, and not being of those who neglect the Quran. And then we moved on and we discussed the most important parts of the Quran for us to understand is that which is often recited, especially that which is recited in the Salah, like the Fatiha and the short surahs that we find at the back of the Quran. And then we moved on last week to the, the Fatiha. We spoke about the uh, Surah Al-Fatiha, the importance and the great virtue of this surah. And we proved from the hadith, from many a hadith, that it is without a doubt the greatest surah in the Quran. The greatest chapter in the book of Allah is Surah Al-Fatiha and we mentioned a number of evidences for that, alhamdulillah. And this is enough of an evidence for us and a reason for us to delve and to try to dive a little bit deep not even too deep, but it's, it's just a foot in the ocean of the great knowledge of uh, the surah. So, inshallah, this week and the following week, we will be discussing the surah in some detail. There's so much more that we could have, that we could do, but this is, you know, we try our best, we ask Allah Azza wa Jal to accept from us. So, we spoke about the names of the surah. And we said we should at least know six or seven of those names. Ummul Kitab, Ummul Quran, Asasul Quran, Ash-Shafi, Ar-Ruqya, Al-Fatiha, Sab'ul Mathani, and so forth. And then we spoke about the Isti'adha as well. We spoke about the Isti'adha, which is where we ended last week, speaking about the Isti'adha, which means to seek refuge or protection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we went through what A'udhu, in basic terms, what does it mean? It means to seek protection, refuge, uh, seeking a guardian in who? In Allah Azza wa Jal from the shaitan, the, 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 the thrown out, the, the accursed one, the outcast and so forth. In today's lesson, in today's lesson, we move on to the basmala. We touched on the basmala initially as well last week where we said that we spoke about the Fatiha comprising of seven ayat. As Allah Azza wa Jal said, وَلَقَدْ آتَيْنَاكَ سَبْعًا مِنَ الْمَثَانِ وَالْقُرْآنَ الْعَظِيمِ And we then spoke about the Basmala, and we mentioned the difference of opinion over the Basmala being an ayah of the Fatiha or not. And quickly to summarize, we said, there are two views. The views of Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah is that it is a, a, an ayah of the Fatiha. Whereas majority of the scholars said it's not considered as a uh, as an ayah of the Fatiha. Majority of the ulama stated 
that it is not an ayah of the Fatiha. Uh, and we proved from again hadith that shows that it's not an ayah and we concluded that Allah knows best that it seems it's not an ayah of the Fatiha whereas there is no problem in stating that it is an ayah as the great Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah he said. Um, today we move on with the basmala. Today we move on with the basmala and we go a bit deeper into, the, into understanding the greatness and the importance of the basmala. So Firstly, the status of the Basmalah. Imam Al-Qurtubi, a famous Imam of Tafsir, Rahimahullah, he said that the, the legislation, meaning the Sharia, has encouraged the mentioning of the Basmalah at the beginning of every action, whereas it may be eating, uh, drinking, sacrificing, like your slaughtering, intercourse, your tahara, purity, and before mounting one's ride, and many other things, uh, and Allah knows best. So basically this Imam is saying that according to the Sharia, we are encouraged to always utter the Basmalah. We are always encouraged to utter and to say Bismillah at every opportunity. At every moment where we are about to do something good or any permissible action, any task we are about to undertake, we are encouraged to say Bismillah. We are encouraged to say Bismillah. So we will look at a number of ahadith. In the beginning of the lesson, we will look at a number of ahadith wherein Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he encouraged us to say the basmala. He encouraged us to say the basmala. So, one hadith, well the first hadith is regarding the wudu. Where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, he said, لا صلاة لمن لا wudu له ولا wudu لمن لم يذكر اسم الله تعالى عليه. Basically, he said, the salah of a person who does not perform ablution is not valid. And this is well known to every Muslim. If a person does not take wudu, then his salah will not be accepted. And the ablution of a person who does not mention the name of Allah is also not valid. Meaning, according to this hadith, according to just the wording of this hadith, this hadith is telling us if we do not mention the name of Allah, meaning we do not say Bismillah, then our wudu may not be valid. So certain and small group of scholars, they went and they said, whoever does not say Bismillah, his wudu is not accepted. Although the vast majority of scholars say that it is recommended and not wajib to say the Bismillah before the wudu. So that's the fiqhi difference of opinion on the mas'ala, where one group said it's fard based on this hadith, based on the wording of the hadith. And other scholars came and said, no, it's not fard, and they have other evidences for their reasoning as well. The point here is not to delve too much into the, this ruling. However, it is to show the importance of the basmala. That even before taking wudu, we are, it is highly encouraged, we should say, to say Bismillah before we start. To say Bismillah before we start. Added on to that, we can mention, if a person is in a, a, a toilet or a place where there is some you know, it's not befitting to mention the name of Allah Azza wa Jal. If he takes wudu in a place like this, 
then most of the scholars say he should not say the name of Allah and say Bismillah in this case. However, he should say it in his mind as according to Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. So he should say Bismillah in his head and then start the wudu and Allah knows best. But the important thing is say the Bismillah before you start the wudu. Um, the second hadith is when tripping or stumbling. So it was narrated that a man said, I was riding behind the Prophet and his mount stumbled. And I said, May the shaytan perish. So Rasulullah responded to him and said, Do not say this. Don't say may the shaytan perish. Because when you say that, he swells up so much that he becomes like a house and he says, By my power, biquwati. So it's as if when you curse the shaytan, this doesn't actually harm the shaytan. It's as if when you curse him, he feels uh, proud and he feels this is through my power. You understand? So the, the Prophet is saying to us, don't say may the, may the shaitan perish. As if to say there's no benefit in saying that. In fact, the shaitan is the only one who gets benefit out of that. So whether it's your car that's, you know, stumbling or getting stuck or there's a problem, we should not curse the shaitan then. Whether you are tripping yourself, whether you are stumbling or you are tripping, you should not curse anybody and especially not the shaitan in this case. Based on this hadith, because the shaitan actually gets some type of an, a boost out of this. And then he said, rather say Bismillah. Instead you should say Bismillah in the name of Allah. For if you say that, the shaitan shrinks until he becomes like a fly. He becomes something insignificant, something with no power, with no might, and he feels the insignificance. So, this is a forgotten sunnah, according to many uh, uh, of us, that when something happens, a small slip, a small trip, and even, even if it may be in your ride, as according to the hadith, anything happens, we should say bismillah. We should always say bismillah, and this is a sunnah that we should try and really uh, revive within our lives, that we constantly say bismillah for everything. Anything that happens, we say bismillah. Another hadith speaks about the issue of intercourse. Whether Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, if any one of you intends on having sexual relations with his wife and says, Bismillah, Allahumma jannibna shaytana wa jannib shaytana ma razaqtana. In the name of Allah, he starts with Bismillah. So even at this moment, and this is just before a person is about to have intercourse with his wife, and both of them should say it, the, the husband and the wife should, should utter these words, there is a dua to make. So even at this moment of intimacy, there is actually a dua to recite where you actually remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you say, Bismillah in the name of Allah, and we say, protect us, oh Allah, protect us from shaitan. Jannibna shaitan means keep the shaitan far away from us. Wajannibi shaitani ma razaqtana. And protect us from the shaitan, or protect that which you provide of us from the shaitan. Meaning, what could possibly come from this act of intimacy of a child, of offspring, protect them. Protect them from the shaitan as well. So this is actually a beautiful dua if you think about it. It's a dua that Allah protects you and your wife at that moment. He grants you awrah, he grants you privacy, and he protects you from the shaitan. And likewise, that if any offspring were to come, if any child were to be born, because of that moment of intimacy, may they be protected as well. This is basically what this dua is saying. And it starts with the name of Allah, Bismillah. 
right? And we will see as we go through these ahadith that Bismillah is, is, like, a, is like an isti'adha by itself. It's like a form of protection by itself. When we take the name of Allah, the shaitan is expelled. The shaitan is blocked off from so many ways. And we will find it acts as a great protection for us. Um, another point is when eating and drinking, this is known to us, alhamdulillah. The hadith says from Umar ibn Abi Salama, he said, I was a boy under the care of Allah's messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And my hand used to go around the dish while I was eating. Like any youngster, the dish is in front of him, he's eating from all over. So Allah's messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said to me, yeah, the Prophet is teaching him the adab and the etiquettes of eating. Ya ghulam, sammillah. Oh youngster, oh boy, mention the name of Allah. And this is where it starts. Before you start, the first thing is you remember Allah Azza wa Jal. You remember where this food came from. You remember the, the source of this food. So we start off by praising Allah. Bismillah, in the name of Allah. Wa kul biyaminik, and eat with your right hand. Wa kul mimma yalik, and eat of the dish what is nearest to you, what is in front of you. Don't be someone who, you know, he picks from all over the show. Be from, you know, part of the etiquette of eating going to the sunnah is such that we eat from what's in front of us. This is from the etiquette of the sunnah. And then he said at the end of the hadith, since then I have applied those instructions when eating. And that by itself is also very important. You know, whenever we learn something, no matter how small it may be, the most important thing is that we act upon what we learned. That we start to implement those teachings. That we start, we take that teachings and we live by it. And this is by the way, what the sahabi, this youngster, he learned this at a young age. This is what this youngster is saying. Since that time, I was a small boy, I was a youngster. I applied this, those teachings and those instructions when eating. And this is the way it should be for every believer. Whatever we learn, again, no matter how great or no matter how small, we should take that as a lesson and implement it in our lives. This is of utmost importance. And this takes us back to the first lesson where we spoke about the Sahaba and how the Sahaba were when it came to Learning the Quran, 10 ayat, they did not move on to memorize new until they implemented what they learned. This is the same lesson. This is the same lesson and that, you know, by itself is such a huge point that we can speak about uh, and really we should focus on because subhanAllah, all of us, we may be guilty of this. We, we, we learn so many things, whether it's online, whether it's in front of a teacher, whether it's reading, whether it's no matter where it may be, we learn so many lessons, so many hadith we read. You know, by the way, we come across a hadith, whether it's on a picture, on our phones, whether somebody put up a beneficial status, whether you were sitting in the masjid, you picked up a hadith, or you're sitting, you're listening to a talk. There's so much information that's coming through our minds and our brains that we are learning. But how much of that do we actually implement? How much of that do we actually live by? This is the question that we need to ask ourselves. Because this is the most important thing. A, a youngster used to come to Aisha radiallahu anha to learn from her. And he used, to, he used to come, and one day she asked him, have you implemented what you've learned? Everything you've taken from me, you come to me often and you learn from me, I teach you certain things, have you implemented what you've learned? And he said, not yet. As if to say, uh, most, or maybe some of the things, yes, but some of the things, no, but he's still increasing in his knowledge. And so she said to him, why do you increase the proof of Allah upon us? Yani, the more you learn, this is, you know, it's like an evidence against you now. It's knowledge that counts against you because you're not using that knowledge, not acting upon that knowledge. Whereas, 
The one who acts upon his knowledge, it becomes an evidence for you. It becomes a proof for you. Qiyamah, it will come, it will be on your side. It will not act against you, Allah Musta'an. Also, when eating and drinking, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, when any one of you eats, he should mention the name of Allah. Right? So this we've, 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 we've touched on. If he forgets to mention the name of Allah, at the beginning when he starts to eat, he should say, Bismillahi awwalahu wa akhirahu. In the name of Allah, at the beginning and at the end. Now, again, this shows us that it's so important to say the name of Allah when you eat, that even if you forgot to say it, you should say it midway through. You're about to finish, you realize, hey, I never said Bismillah. I should go back and say, Bismillahi awwalahu wa akhirahu. Right? This again highlights the importance of the basmala when eating especially. Because even if you forgot to say it, you should still say, you should still mention the name of Allah Azza wa Jal. There's another narration which says, Bismillahi fi awwalihi wa akhirihi. That's also authentic and there's no problem if you learn that narration. Alhamdulillah. When entering the toilet and when undressing. And I think this is another sunnah that's lost to most people. Ali bin Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu, he narrates and he said, that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the screen between the eyes of the jinn and the awrat, yani the nakedness, the awra, your body of the children of Adam, when one of you enters the area of relieving himself, is saying, Bismillah. What does this hadith mean? That there is a screen, there is a type of hijab, there is a barrier that is between us, the, the children of Adam, and the jinn. So when we enter the place of relieving, the toilet, when we enter the bathroom, the toilet, whatever you want to call it, the hammam, and we go to relieve ourselves, naturally we have to undress to an extent, and we have to remove some items of clothing so that we can relieve ourselves. When this happens, the jinn, which we do not see, as the Quran says, they see you, but you do not see them. The jinn will be able to see us. Because the jinn, What's known of the jinn, especially the naughty and evil jinn, they frequent these type of places. They don't frequent masajid and gatherings of knowledge. They frequent places that are known to be unhygienic or dirty or places that we normally you shouldn't like to hang out at. That's where the jinn would hang out. So they would come to maybe have a look at this and wallahu a'lam. The point is, when we say Bismillah, there is a barrier immediately put, us, put up between us and them. There is a barrier immediately that's put up between us and our aura. It covers us, it conceals us and the eyes of the jinn. And many scholars apply this even to undressing in general. Besides when going to the, the, the hammam or the washroom, anytime you undress yourself, you should say Bismillah. The moment you undress yourself, there is a screen which covers your aura from the jinn. And again, this shows us it's, it's, an, it's a protection. It's a, it's a, it counts as a protection for us, alhamdulillah, just to say the basmala, just to say bismillah. When closing a door and more, Jabir radiallahu anhu, he narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, close your door and make mention of Allah's name. In other narrations, it speaks about when, you know, when darkness comes, when it's basically the time of Maghrib. So close up, close your doors, close your windows and so forth. And make mention of Allah's name, say Bismillah. When you close the door, it's a sunnah, what we learn, it's a sunnah to say Bismillah. For the devil does not open a door which has been shut. When you say Bismillah, the shayateen will not be able to, able to enter through that door. They will not be able to come through. 
the moment you close up and you say Bismillah, you close the window, you say Bismillah, they will not be able to come through. Extinguish your lamp and make mention of Allah's name. So this again applies to maybe later on in the night, before you go and sleep, you put off your lamps. Those days they had a lamp, they had to extinguish the lamp, put out the little candle or the fire within the lamp. For us, it's a, it's a mere switching off of the light. When we switch it off, we should say Bismillah. Say Bismillah. Cover up your vessel, even by a piece of wood that you just put on it, and make mention of Allah's name. All of these things we are doing, the Prophet is saying the same thing, and mention the name of Allah. Mention Allah's name. So this is of utmost importance. Cover your vessels at night. Don't leave things open, because you don't know what might enter, what might sit in there, and tie up your water skin when mentioning Allah's name. Don't leave a glass of water open during the night, and the next morning you come and you drink from it. Because you don't know what, the, what a possible shaitan could have come and done in that water. So when you drink from the water and the water was standing open, there's a possibility the shayateen could have, you know, done whatever, and this, this might harm you, you might become sick. Wallahu a'lam. So look at the hikmah of the sunnah and look at the power of the basmala. You say your, your basmala, you tie up your water skins, you cover up your vessels if there's food inside especially, even if it means you put, just put something on it, just to cover it and say Bismillah. Say Bismillah, everything will be protected. Everything will thus be protected. Close your door, close your windows and say Bismillah. Learn to do this. Learn to do this. You start your car, Bismillah. You close the door of your car, Bismillah. Nothing will enter through that door. You will be protected, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, as Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi is telling us. Another hadith narrated from Jabir, where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, when a man enters his house and mentions Allah's name on entering and on his food. So again, this shows us again the importance of the food. The shaitan says, you have no place to spend the night. He says to himself, you have no place to spend the night and no evening meal. Subhanallah. When he closes the door and he says, Bismillah, or as he enters, he says, Bismillah, the shaitan are already blocked out. You close the door and you say, Bismillah again, they are blocked out. Completely blocked out. When you start to eat and you say Bismillah, the shaitan says to himself, you have no evening meal. You've cut him off. But when he enters the home, without mentioning Allah's name on entering, the devil says to himself, you have found a place to spend the night. I have found a place to spend the night. The man did not remember Allah when he entered, we will spend the night in his home. Allahu musta'an. And when he does not mention Allah's name, at his food, he's about to eat and he starts to eat and he does not mention the name of Allah. The shaitan says to himself, you have found a place to spend the night and an evening meal. I got supper as well. Dinner has been served because this brother or sister did not mention the name of Allah. Which means it's as if, you know, it's like when you say Bismillah, there's like a guardian, there's like a cover that has come over you. You cannot see this, this, this layer of protection. But the moment you don't say it's open for the shaitan to enter upon and Allah knows best. When we sleep, and this we've, we've been raised to say these du'as, the Prophet sallallahu when he went to bed, he would say, Bismika Allahumma amutu wa ahya. Bismika Allah, in the name of Allah, with your name, O oh Allah, in your name, O oh Allah, amutu wa ahya, I die and I live. Right? Some of us learnt it the other way around, which is also authentic. Allahumma bismika amutu wa ahya, that's also authentic, it means the same thing. In the morning and evening, we say three times, Bismillah, Bismillahilladhi, 
لا يضر مع اسمه شيء في الارض ولا في السماء هو السميع العليم ان النيم الله it starts with the basmala with his name with his name nothing can cause harm neither in the earth nor in the heavens وهو السميع العليم and he is the all hearing the all knowing so this dua is one of the most powerful duas of protection or adhkars of protection that we recite from the morning and evening adhkar from the sunnah Whoever says this dua three times, what happens to him? He will not sudden suffer sudden affliction until the morning. He will be protected until the morning. If you say this in the evening, and if he says it in the morning, he will not sudden suffer sudden affliction until the evening. This is the power of these adhkar that comes from the authentic sunnah. And Rasulullah is the one who told us about these rewards. Nobody else can make this up. If I were to come and say, if you, if you say a certain dhikr, and this will be the reward, and this will be your protection, that's made up. That's not accepted. It doesn't count. This is authentic from hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama. Again, it starts with the bismillah. <coughs> it contains the basmala, and that's the great power of this, uh, of this dhikr. Also, when doing ruqyah, it was narrated from Abu Sa'id. Anhu, that Jibreel came to the Prophet وسلم, and said, Oh Muhammad, you have become ill. And he said, Yes, I have become ill. He then said, He then performed ruqya on him. And how did this ruqya start? Bismillah. Bismillah arqeek. Min kulli sha'in yu'dhik. Min shadi kulli nafsin awailin hasidin. Allahu yashfik. Bismillah arqeek. In the name of Allah, I perform ruqya for you. From everything that is harming you, from the evil of every soul or envious eye, may Allah heal you. In the name of Allah, I perform ruqya for you. Bismillah. It starts with twice it's mentioned in this hadith or in this this uh, this dhikr, this dua of ruqya. It's mentioned twice. The, the, the dua of the basmala, bismillah. It can serve as a, a ruqya, especially when mentioned in that um, format and Allah knows best. Also, when we sacrifice or slaughter for an animal for the sake of Allah, we all know it's a sunnah to say bismillah. We have to say the basmala when we... When we sacrifice, as Allah mentions us in the Quran, right? When you sacrifice, you must take the name of Allah. Okay, and this is of course proven from the, the, the actions of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Jabir radhiyallahu again he narrates that he witnessed the sacrificing along with the mission of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam at the place of prayer. When he finished his sermon, he descended from his pulpit and, and a ram was brought to him. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam slaughtered it with his hand and said. Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. In the name of Allah, Allah is most great. This is from me and from those who did not sacrifice from my community. Yani this, the sacrifice is from me and for those who were unable to sacrifice, it's from them as well. But he starts off with the name of Allah. And it is so important. An animal that is sacrificed with the Bismillah becomes halal. An animal that is sacrificed without the Basmala, without the name of Allah, becomes haram. Subhanallah, what's the difference between the two? One of the differences is this animal which is halal was slaughtered in the name of Allah. And this animal which is haram was slaughtered in the name of some other deity or not in the name of Allah. And therefore it's not acceptable. It becomes haram. This is the power of the basmala and the name of Allah Azza wa Jal. So those are some ahadith we put together. Um, some other examples Entering the masjid, exiting the masjid, from the sunnah we learn to say Bismillah, right? Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, Allahumma aftahli abu abu rahmatik. 
When we come out, we should say Bismillahi wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah. Allahumma inni as'aluka min fadlik. Allahumma a'simni min ash-shaytanir rajim. For example, again, it starts with the basmalah. It starts with the basmalah. You enter the masjid, you exit the masjid with the basmalah. When shooting an arrow or sending a hunting dog, when you shoot an animal, you should say Bismillah and shoot. Because again, you are shooting for the intention of, this is like a slaughter, similar. The same if you have a, a hunting dog that hunts for you, when you send him, you should say Bismillah. So that when he hunts for you, he catches it with the name of Allah and so forth. There's a hadith that speaks about mentioning or placing, placing a dead body in the grave. When the mayyit is placed in the grave, we should say Bismillah as we put him down. This is again proven from hadith. Even when we go out for jihad and we start, uh, you know, we go out for, for, to fight for the sake of Allah, the hadith says go out and say Bismillah. When doing any permissible action or task. This is the thing. We've mentioned specific examples from the sunnah, yes. And those are of utmost importance. But the reality is anything you do, you should say Bismillah. As I'm sitting, when I get up, I should say Bismillah. When I sit down, I should say Bismillah. This is how, you know, flexible and how vast the application of the, of the Basmalah can be. That to say Bismillah, Bismillah should be on our tongue at all times. It's not just before we eat. It's not just... You know, when we do one or two things, the reality is from those ahadith that we showed, for example, and there are more than those, from those few ahadith and the above examples, we can see already that the basmala is of utmost importance and it should be used in so many times and so many opportunities and so many uh, different tasks and actions, we should be saying the basmala. So, this is of utmost importance. Again, keep the name of Allah on your tongue. Keep the name of Allah on your tongue and always say bismillah before you do anything. Before you do anything. There's a narration from Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu. And Allah knows best if it's authentic. But he said any task that's done without the name of Allah, it is, it is cut off. It's abdar, it's cut off, meaning there's no blessings in it. There's no blessings in this action. <coughs> so, the Prophet for example, when he started his letters, he would start with the name of Allah. Sulaiman did the same thing. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We spoke about this ayah last week. So this is, you know, the way of the believer that everything he does, he starts off with the, with the name of Allah and he says, Bismillah. Before you start your exams, you say Bismillah. Before you start studying, say Bismillah and so forth. Um, also as a protection, when throwing boiling water, for example, Right, you throw it, whether you throw it into the toilet, whether you throw it into a, in down a drain, for example, we are encouraged to say Bismillah. Why? Because it's a protection for you. From what? There could be a jinn over there. There could be some type of jinn in that area, in that vicinity, and when you throw the water, you could harm the jinn, and a jinn naturally is very revengeful. So automatically he will spring back on you, and he will try to harm you in return. So similarly, you go to the garden, you cut down some trees, you cut down some branches. There could be jinn that lives over there, therefore we are encouraged to say the basmala. Before we cut, it will be a protection for you. This is, you know, important. So anything you do, think, I'm going to throw this item, I'm going to do this, I'm going to cut this down, I'm going to, you know, say bismillah and do it. Say bismillah and then do it, because that will be your protection. Because the reality is you could be harming some creature of Allah without you knowing. And that creature could then retaliate against you and take revenge against you and Allah knows best. 
And we've dealt with cases like this, where in, in terms of ruqya, there was actually a case where a woman cut down a tree, and Allah knows best if this was where she was afflicted, but when the jinn spoke on her from her body, the jinn mentioned that she cut down my house. When we spoke to her afterwards, she didn't know what happened. She said, well, the only thing I cut down was the tree outside. And there's a possibility that is where the jinn took revenge on her and afflicted her and Allah knows best. So this is why we say, always say the basmana. Always say the basmana. As for the basmana in the salah. Now we've spoken about the issue again regarding the fatiha. So those scholars like Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, who said that the basmala, who said that the basmala is a part of the fatiha, they would say you have to recite the basmala just like you recite the, the rest of the fatiha. So this is why if you stand behind any Shafi'i imam, you will find that when he says Allahu Akbar and he starts the salah, he starts by, by, start by reciting the basmala. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Right? Because this is their view. They, this is how they understand it. It's a part of the Fatiha. Whereas the other ulama, as we mentioned, which is more the majority of scholars, they say it's not a part of the Fatiha. And therefore they also say that it should not be recited in the salah. It should not be recited out loud in the salah at least. So Imam Malik was the one who said no reciting of the basmala. For example, with the Fatiha. The others, for example, Imam Ahmad and Abu Hanifa said you recite it softly. You recite it softly. So you say Bismillah. You know, you start, you say Bismillah softly and then you start Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And you will hear this again from those who follow the Hanafi Madhab, those who follow the this is how they recite and you will hear this from them and this is why this is the way they recite because of the understanding of the basmala okay so we mentioned the hadith last week which proves it's not an ayah of the of the fatiha even if we say for example there will be a group of scholars who say it is an ayah but it should be recited softly right that's also a valid view it's also a view we can accept but some scholars would have said that no doubt Tayyip, however, what's the evidence? What should we do? What we find from the Sunnah is that most of the time, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he did not recite the basmala out loud, rather he recited it quietly. Rather he recited it quietly and softly to himself. And then he would start the basmala, or sorry, he would start from Alhamdulillah loudly. The clearest of a hadith on this issue is what's narrated from Anas radiallahu anhu that Rasulullah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Bakr and Umar, he, they began the prayer with the words Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. This is, what does this tell us? Now, Anas radiallahu anhu, who was Anas? Anas was, this, was the one who served Rasulullah, the Khadim of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He served him up until his death. So for many years, Anas served him up until the death of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He lived. He was one of the the Sahaba who lived the longest. Anas. And what we find is obviously in the time of Abu Bakr, he was there. He prayed behind Abu Bakr as the Khalifa. When Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu passed away, Umar ibn Khattab took over, and Umar his reign was for a lot longer. He prayed behind Umar as well. 
and he prayed behind Uthman as well. And he mentions in hadith that Sallaytu Khalfa Nabi Sallam wa Abu Bakr wa Umar wa Uthman. And they started the salah. Be Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen with Alhamdulillahi. Meaning what? They did not say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim loudly, but they used to say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. This hadith is of explicit uh, evidence to state that this is the what, what the norm was. This is what they did most of the time. The Prophet ﷺ, Abu Bakr, Umar, and Uthman. The other narrations mention Uthman as well. طيب, according to another report written by Ahmad, Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, he said, At Anas said, they did not recite out loud the Bismillah rahman He makes it explicitly clear. That they never said it out loud, but rather, which means they said it softly. This is how who prayed? Rasulullah Sallallahu prayed. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman. This is how they made salah. This is how they made salah. They would say the Bismillah rahman rahim softly, and then they would say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen out loud. This is now emphatically clear, Alhamdulillah, from authentic hadith. Right? In another narration, he says they said it softly. Yeah, he said they did not say it loudly. In the other one, he said, they started with Alhamdulillah. The hadith of Aisha in Sahih Muslim says, the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa began prayer with the takbir, Allahu Akbar, and he began his recitation with, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, meaning, either he did not say the basmala, or he said it softly. That's what this hadith proves. But the previous hadith proves of Anas, that he said it softly. So this is what we say is the best way to do it. This is the authentic sunnah. This is the way we should try our best to pray. When we make salah, start of course with the takbir, say the basmala softly, and then we start alhamdulillah, the fatiha out loud. And of course the loud salah is the fajr, maghrib and isha. This is the way it should be recited and Allah knows best. Does this mean, does this mean it's, not, it's, it's haram to say the basmala out loud? We do not say this, no. Because the views of Imam al-Shafi'i and others who said it, you should say it out loud is also based on other ahadith. They have their reasoning for what they are saying. So we acknowledge this as a difference of a valid difference of opinion. However, we say this is what is clearer and more apparent of the authentic sunnah. This is how the greatest of men prayed from the Prophet to his greatest disciples and followers, Abu Bakr, Umar and Uthman. That is emphatically clear. And as we said, Anas knows best. Aisha knows best. This was his beloved wife. She knew best the way he made salah. And Anas, the one who served him all those years closely, he knew best. This is the way he prayed. He never said it out loud. He said it softly. This was the words of Anas. So this is emphatically clear. And the other narrations, they have some weakness in it, some of them. Um, so how do we reconcile between this? We say the norm should be to say it softly. Now and then you can say it out loud. Now and then you can start with the basmala loudly and the alhamdulillah uh, and continue. But generally we should try to say the basmala softly and the basmala, uh, sorry, the basmala softly and the rest of the fatiha out loud in those loud uh, salahs. This is the, the best way to do it as this is what is clearest from the sunnah and Allah knows best. For those who follow the, you know, a different view, we say there's no sin upon you. Um, and even if you are instructed to pray like this, for example, if you are Hafiz al-Qur'an, Imam al-Masjid, and you are told, you know, please say the Fatiha out loud just to avoid any issues in this masjid, which is predominantly Shafi'i, there would be no problem 
and no sin upon you and Allah knows best. To avoid the fitna, it's not an issue of haram and halal. It's not an issue of bid'ah versus the sunnah. So therefore we say there is some leeway in these type of issues for you to recite it out loud and there would be no sin upon you. Although if you can educate the jama'ah, then this should be done and Allah knows best. Tayyib, we move on. The purpose and the wisdom in saying the basmalah. We, shared, we, said, we showed the importance already and the status of the basmalah. Now, what is the purpose and the wisdom behind saying the basmalah? Firstly, it brings Allah to mind before one does the action. Ikhlas. You know, the importance of ikhlas, again, is it requires a series on its own. Of all the ahadith and ayat that we have that speaks about ikhlas. Right? Uh, we're not instructed except to worship Allah sincerely in their religion. A person will only get what he intended. Or actions are driven by its intention. And each person will only get what he intends. Hadith, right? Meaning, no action is accepted unless it's done purely for the sake of Allah. If there's uh, any type of riyah of showing off or insincerity in the action, that action is not accepted by Allah. It's not accepted by Allah Azza wa Jal. So when we say the basmala, this should be the first intention. This should be the first, it's a reminder. I'm saying Bismillah. Before I start teaching, we say Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Alhamdulillah. We start with the basmala. Before we start learning, we should sit down and say Bismillah. As if to remind yourself of Allah. Why am I doing this act of worship? You know, it brings Allah to mind before we do that. Why am I taking wudu? We said Bismillah. Why am I taking wudu? For the sake of Allah. Why are we about to make salah? We said Bismillah. We start the salah with Bismillah Rahman Rahim softly. It's a reminder. This is for Allah's sake. So every act of worship where there is a Bismillah and we say the name of Allah, we should keep this in mind. This is a reminder. This is a, a reminder. <clears throat> And therefore, this is the main purpose of the, one of the main purposes of the basmala. It is to say, in saying bismillah, it's a reminder for, uh, it brings Allah to mind. It's a reminder of ikhlas. Your sincerity, your sincerity. Ikhlas and ikhlas. Right? Most important thing, your ikhlas. There's no ikhlas, your actions are null and void. It's not accepted. Straight, not accepted. وَقَدِمْنَا إِلَى مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمَلٍ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا Allah says they came and they brought forth what they did of good deeds, what they did of righteousness. Allah says we made it like dust that's scattered, worthless. We made it into dust that's scattered. Why? No ikhlas. wasn't done for the sake of Allah Aslan. So this is the first purpose of the basmala. It shouldn't just be lip service again. Understand what we are saying. Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim Firstly, in the name of Allah, it is for Allah. It, this is for Allah. Number two is it prevents one from doing evil actions. Tayyib, when we say the basmala, it's a reminder constantly of Allah. And this should distance you know, us away from sin. If, if a person is always saying bismillah, as we said, you get undressed to say bismillah. You get dressed to say bismillah. You put your shoes on, you say bismillah. You know, if we can reach this level, where we open the door, we say bismillah. We close the door, we say bismillah. We start the car, we say bismillah. Can this person head and head off and go and do major sins? It's unlikely. If he has Allah's name on his tongue all the time, if he's thinking about Allah all the time, naturally this dhikr, this bismillah, this basmala will serve as a protection for him. It will take, take him away from sin. It will protect him from sin. 
it will, it will prevent him from doing evil actions ta'ala if he's sincere. If he's sincere, you will find this within your dhikr. Your dhikr is your, is your protection. Right? It's your protection. And even from sin, it can take you, it can, it can distance you from, uh, from sin without a doubt. Thirdly, he will attain Allah's support and succor in that action. Through the bismillah, you will find Allah's help will come. Allah's support will come. Because you mentioned Allah's name, you will find Allah's aid will come. Allah's help and assistance will come. And this is again, we should believe this. We should believe this and we're going to see when we go through the meaning of the basmalah that this is also a part of the meaning. Is that we are looking for Allah's help when we say bismillah. When we say bismillah, we are asking Allah for his help. In reality, we are asking Allah for his help. This is what we are saying. Right? When we go through the meaning, we will discuss that point in, the, in a bit more detail, inshallah. Point number four is, it reminds one of the purpose, the source of fulfillment of that need. The source of blessings for that action and its final destination. Again, why are we doing this action? It reminds you, why am I taking wudu? Why am I making salah? Why am I going here? Why am I going there? Why am I locking up the doors? Why am I getting dressed? Anything, whether it's something mundane or important. The point is, it reminds you. When you say the basmala, you get the, it should wake you up. It should take you out of that state of maybe heedlessness or ghafla or, or negligence. Wakes you up. Bismillah. Okay, why am I doing this again? You know, focus. Focus on, on what you are doing. Also, it's a blessing. Saying Bismillah, it brings blessings. As we mentioned the statement of Umar, whoever doesn't say the basmala, then that deed is like it's cut off from barakah, it's cut off from blessings. There's no goodness in it as if there's no goodness in it because you didn't say the name of you didn't start with the name of Allah. Right? So it's a source of barakah for that action. Whatever you are doing, you may find barakah in that action because of the basmala. Because of the basmala. And also you remember its final destination, meaning where is this deed going? Where, where do I want this deed to go? We want it to go to Allah. We want it to end up with Allah. So Allah can reward us for it. So Allah can bless us because of it. And He can send us His mercies because of it. That's some of the purposes of the basmala. Brings Allah to mind. Keeps you aware. Keeps you focused. Ikhlas, it reminds you I need to do this for Allah and not anybody else. And it may keep us away from sin, from evil. Because we have Allah's name on our tongues all the time. And we will get the help of Allah. The assistance of Allah will come. The basmala is there to help. It brings help and assistance and sakka from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah's support. And fourthly, that barakah. You are seeking barakah through the basmala. You are saying this so we get the barakah of Allah's name. And Allah's name brings blessings. His names are blessed. And this is what we will discuss. The meaning of the basmala. We've discussed the importance and the status why? What's the wisdom? What's the hikmah in it? We mentioned those points. The meaning of the basmala starts with the bi. Bismillah. Bi. What does bi mean in Arabic? <clears throat> we get different types of baz in Arabic, by the way. Right? But bi, in this case, is always or usually translated as with or in. Right? And this is generally how it's used in Arabic as well. With. Bi can mean with. Or it can mean in, like inside. Right? Or it can mean with or, or by, you know, like by the way or by something. Um, so we say in the name of Allah or with the name of Allah or by the name of Allah. Perhaps the first two is a bit better. With the name of Allah or in the name of Allah. With the name of Allah or in the name of Allah. And this ba is for isti'ana, which means assistance. 
That is what we said in the previous slide. Point number three was you are seeking, you will get Allah's sakka and, 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 and assistance and aid. So, isti'ana, this ba is for isti'ana, which means it's, seek, it's seeking assistance. Isti'ana is to seek assistance. Tayyip. So, when a person says Bismillah in the name of Allah or with the name of Allah, it's as if he is saying, I'm seeking assistance with this name of Allah, with the name of Allah or in this name of Allah, or through the name of Allah, or by the name of Allah. It's as if he is saying, Asta'inu billah. Right? I'm seeking Allah's help. I'm seeking the assistance and the sakka of Allah. Because that ba'di, that ba'di is a ba of isti'ana. It's a ba of assistance, of help and aid. So when we say bismillah, it's as if you are saying in the name of Allah, or with the help of Allah. With the help of this name of Allah. That this, this name will bring help. And so forth, and aid and ease. This is what it means to say the basmala. Or atahasanubi. I seek protection by it. Or atabarakubi. I seek blessings by it. This is what when we say the ba, this is what we are basically saying. That I am seeking Allah's aid through His names. I am seeking His protection through His names. I am seeking His blessings by His names. I am seeking His blessings. By his names. And we touched on these points in the previous two, slide, two, two slides ago. The purpose of saying the basmala. Blessings, aid and help. Protect us from evil deeds and so forth. That is what the basmala includes. And this baya is important. That bismillah is important as a part of this name. Ismullah means, ismullah means the name of Allah. That baya means in the name or with the name of Allah. And that baya in Arabic has meanings behind it. It's used. For a particular reason. It's used as for a particular reason. And these are the reasons. For help. For blessing. For protection. And we see in the examples throughout this lesson. Of how saying Bismillah is a protection. Protects you from the jinn. Protects you from so many shayateen and so many things. Right? So no doubt when we say Bismillah. It's as if you are saying I seek, I am seeking protection from Allah's names. Through Allah's names. And I'm seeking help through Allah's names. And blessings through Allah's names. The scholars have also pointed out that if we look at Allah, that the name of Allah is in a singular form and, and it's mudaf means, which means, that's, I'm not going to go into too much detail there because that's more maybe for the Arabic students, which means it carries a general meaning encompassing all of the names of Allah. The name Allah here in this context here is mudaf, right? Um, so that goes back to the rule of Arabic, mudaf, mudaf, ilay and so forth. And it's also in singular form. And what this means is it's, it's am. It's general in meaning, which means it carries and encompasses all of the names of Allah. Tayyib. So in essence, what are we saying? I seek protection and blessings and help by the names of Allah. And not only Allah's name, that one name. We know Allah has many names. Allah has many names. And again, you can refer back to the previous course we did, Fiqhul Asma'il Husna. And all the recordings are on our website, alhamdulillah. Over there we showed and we explained that Allah has more than 99 names. Not 99, more than 99 names. Only Allah knows how many names He has. In that course we explained over 100 names of Allah, alhamdulillah, their meanings. Tayyip, so when we say the bismillah, when we just say bismillah, we are saying I seek help, protection, assistance, blessings, aid and sakaf through what? Through the names of Allah. All those names, the best of names. Walillahi al-asma' al-husna. 
Fad'uhu biha. To Allah belongs the best of names. So worship Him through those names. And the names of Allah are blessed. They are blessed. Hence we seek the blessings from it. As Allah says in the Quran, Surah Al-Rahman, Blessed is the name of your Lord. Allah's name is blessed. It's full of barakah. The owner of majesty and honor. So when we say we seek blessings through the names of Allah, it's because His name is full of barakah. It's blessed. So we are seeking blessings through His names and protection and help and so forth. Tayyib, we move on to the name Allah. So we said, Bismillah, we are now at the part of Allah. We spoke about the Ba'a. We spoke about ism and how it, in this case this name Allah means all of the names. But the name of Allah also is the personal name of Allah. This is Allah's name. Nobody can carry this name. None can take this name but Him. Nobody can take the name Allah and nobody has taken this name before Allah Azza wa Jal. Nobody comes before Allah but even before Islam. In the days of Jahiliyyah we mean nobody had the name Allah. Right? This is unique to Allah Azza wa Jal alone. Understand? And nobody can take this name. It's not permissible for anybody to take the name Allah. Tayyib, this is Allah's personal name. All other names belong to this name. What do we mean by this? We mean, as Allah said, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ husna." To Allah belongs the most beautiful of names. To Allah, this name is mentioned, to Allah belongs the most beautiful of names. Allah didn't say to Ar-Rahman belongs the most beautiful of names. Allah didn't say to Al-Halim or As-Sami or Al-Alim belongs most, Allah said to Allah belongs all the beautiful names. So it's as if this is his main name and those are his other names. If you want to put it that way. It's as if this is his main name, his personal name. And all of the other names, they, they belong to this name of Allah. They are, you know, as uh, maybe you can, if I can use the word an offshoot of these names, Allah knows best if that wording is correct. But the point is, those names refer back to the name Allah. And Allah doesn't refer back to any other name. And this is one of the reasons why scholars said, this is Allah's greatest name. This is Allah's greatest name. And again, this, this was discussed in detail in the previous course. But to summarize, certain names are greater than others. Or to Allah belongs the greatest name, as the hadith says. The Prophet basically said, to Allah belongs... The greatest name. Whoever calls upon him by that name, his dua will be accepted and will be answered and so forth. So, which means Allah has a specific name which is the greatest name. And the scholars even differed over it. 40 something opinions on the issue. Majority of the ulama say his greatest name is Allah. Is Allah. Some said Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Some said it could mean any name that has a, has a vast you know, meaning and so forth. Wallahu a'lam. It seems the strongest view is, and only Allah knows best, that Allah is His greatest name. That Allah, that's His greatest name. Hence, when we make dua, we should always say, Ya Allah, or Allahumma. It's, it's better to always say, Allahumma, uh, and not just say, you know, give me or grant me and so forth. It's always good to start with Allah. You know, or mention Allah's name when you praise Him and so forth. And you can also obviously mention all of the other names. As much as you know, the better. Tayyip, the meaning of Allah's name is, the one that is worthy of worship or the true deity or God that is worthy or worshipped. Tayyip, Al-Ilah or Allah is the one who is worshipped. The true deity that's worthy of worship or the true deity that is worshipped. So Allah means, basically means the one that should be, that is deserved of worship. The one that is truly deserved of worship. This is what Allah's name literally means. Tayyip, and again if you want to go for more detailed explanation, 
Go back to the cause of Fiqhul Asma'il Husna. We will discuss the name of Allah in a bit more detail. Walhamdulillah. We'll end off with the last two, which is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, which finishes off the Basmala, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And also, it will end off, count as the, the second ayah or the third ayah, depending how you are counting, according to which view. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim obviously comes as a, as a separate ayah after Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Tayyib. So Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahman could be translated as the most compassionate or the entirely merciful. Some translated as the most merciful. Again, the, dif- the translations will differ. There's no doubt about that. Ar-Rahim is translated as the most merciful or the especially merciful. Tayyip. According to the translations which I have chosen, those are two possible meanings. Again, as I said, you may find other translations in other books because not every translation should be recommended. The two translations that I personally follow or try and use is either Sahih International or the Clear Quran by Mustafa Khattab. The Clear Quran by Mustafa Khattab, I'm taking the translations from there because they are generally a bit more accurate than the rest and Allah knows best. Um, another point here, you will find Allah's name is never translated. Even though we said it means the one who's worthy of worship, the one that's worthy of worship, it's never translated. Whereas the other names you will find is always translated. So if you read a translation, for example, you will find, uh, you know, if you read the translation of Quran, you will find in the name of Allah, the most merciful, the most uh, gracious, or the most, most compassionate, the most merciful. For example, but you will never find in the name of the one who's worthy of worship, the most merciful, the most compassionate, or the other way around. The name of Allah is always Allah. And this is again something unique to this name. The other names are always translated into whatever translation the translator wants to use. But the names are always translated. But Allah's names are translated. There's something that's the most special name without a doubt. So Ar-Rahman is the one who is described with mercy. Ar-Rahman is the one who is described with, with mercy. The one who is the owner of mercy. Ar-Rahman. Whereas Ar-Rahim, so both of these names obviously is about mercy. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, we can hear, they sound the same. And both of them in Arabic, they go back to the same root letters, the Ra, the Ha, and the Mim. So which means they are very similar in meaning, without a doubt, they both are. They revolve around mercy. But what's the difference between them? Is there a difference between them or not? The scholars said, and I'll mention two, basically two interpretations. The one interpretation is, Ar-Rahman is the one who is described with mercy. He is the one who we attribute mercy unto. Who is the, merc- the merciful one? Ar-Rahman. As for Ar-Rahim, then he is the one who shows mercy to his slaves. He is the one who shows mercy to others. Understand? Ar-Rahman, we speak about him being described with mercy, the most merciful. Whereas Ar-Rahim is the one who is the one who is the is the one who, who shows mercy. He is the one who, who does the action of showing mercy. This is the slight difference between the two. The one who's described with mercy, Ar-Rahman. The one who shows the mercy to others, Ar-Rahim. طيب. So take those interpretations to, to mind and then think what, what translation maybe fits best. Most compassionate, most merciful. Entirely merciful, especially merciful. This is why you see there will always be a difference of opinion on translation. طيب. Another interpretation is Ar-Rahman is the one who is merciful to all. In a general sense, he shows mercy to all. Okay, Ar-Rahman 
His mercy is he's the one who shows mercy to one and all. Every person, every creature, Muslim, non-Muslim, animal, insect, person, he shows mercy to all. Jinn, you know, angels, he shows mercy to all. This is Ar-Rahman. Ar-Rahim is the one who shows mercy to the believers specifically. Not to all, to the, to the believers specifically. Right? And this could be why some people use the translation, especially merciful. See? Because perhaps it comes from this interpretation that he shows mercy especially to the believers. Especially to the believers and not that much to the, the disbelievers, for example. And for example, if you look at the ayat that we mentioned, Allah said, وَكَانَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَحِيمًا Allah quotes this, mentions this, and he mentions specifically the believers. وَكَانَ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَحِيمًا See the word name Rahim is mentioned, and he's ever merciful to the believers. Ever merciful to the believers. Right? So this shows that Rahim to the believers. He shows that special mercy to the believers. Right? This is another interpretation in the difference between the two names. إِنَّهُ بِهِمْ رَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah said, Surah Tawbah, surely he is ever gracious and merciful to them. Again, also speaking about the Prophet and the Muhajirin and the Ansar and so forth. Right? To the believers. Ever gracious and merciful to them. Tayyip. So this shows Rahim again the, main, the name is used. Uh, and you could apply it to both interpretations. Right? The reason Allah mentions Rahim is because Rahim is the one who shows mercy. According to the first interpretation. For the second interpretation, he's showing it specifically to the believers. As this interpretation says. Or you could argue both, you know, make sense. Both make sense. And we will explain... Uh, at the end of the lesson, why uh, both there is this issue of general mercy and specific mercy. Both names mention the great mercy of Allah without a doubt, as we said, all of creation experiences this mercy at every moment. Now, to speak about the mercy of Allah in great detail, again, I would say, rather refer back to those lessons if you want to hear, we spoke about the mercy of Allah in great detail, okay? And how every part of creation experiences this mercy at every moment. There's not a blinking of an eye except we're experiencing the mercy and the rahmah of Allah Azza wa Jal. Not a moment, not one moment goes by. Right? And this applies to every single person. Rich, poor, uh, Muslim, non-Muslim. Every person lives within the mercy of Allah. As Allah's Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said, Allah divided mercy into 100 parts. He kept 99 parts with him and sent down one part to the earth. And because of that, it's one single part, his creations are merciful to each other. So that even the male lifts up his hoofs away from his baby animal, lest it should trample on it, subhanAllah. Another narration mentions that, that through that one mercy that Allah has sent to this dunya, to the jinn, to mankind, to the animals, to the insects, the hadith mentions, they have mercy to each other. And they love one another. They compassion through that one mercy. We see all, all the love in this world, all the compassion and the, and the goodness and the, uh, uh, the mercy that we see in this world between creation, it's, it's, it comes from that one mercy Allah sent to this dunya. Tayyip. Such that that wild beast will show mercy to its child. A wild animal shows mercy to its child. Through what? Through that mercy of Allah. And then Allah mentioned that narration that the, the 99 he kept with him for the akhirah, for qiyamah. And that will be given to his slaves. To the believers. Subhanallah. So imagine, we are all living under the mercy of Allah. One branch of the mercy. 
99 has been kept with him. We cannot imagine the mercy of Allah. It's beyond our, it's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our understanding completely. One more hadith we look at. Umar ibn Khattab, عنه, he said that there were prisoners of war brought to the Prophet and a breastfeeding woman was among them. And this woman, they could see she was frantic. She was locked up, but she was looking around. You could see she, was, she could not rest. And when she found a child among the prisoners, she would take it to her chest and nurse it. Right? So imagine she's frantic, she finds a child and she nurses the child. Right? Her child. The Prophet said to the Sahaba, do you think this woman would throw her child in the fire? Imagine she's frantic, a mother. She finds a child, she picks up a child, and she covers the child and she breastfeeds the child. Do you think this mother would throw a child in the fire? The Sahaba said, no, not if she was able to stop it. That's impossible, she would never. The Prophet said, Allah is more merciful to his servants than a mother is to her child. Even in that, in that case there, the mercy that mother shows to her child is, is of great, is extreme, is, is powerful. That doesn't compare to Allah's mercy, to, uh, that, that, to the mercy of Allah that he shows to his servants. And we know there's nobody more merciful to us than our mothers. Nobody shows more mercy to you than your mother. Right? And this is why the mother has such a great status again in Islam. But even that mercy is nothing compared to the mercies of Allah Azza wa Jal. Tayyib, uh, Allah's mercy of two types as we said, general and specific. And we'll end off on this point. General meaning, His mercy covers, وَرَحْمَتِي وَسِعَتْ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ Allah says in the Quran, My mercy encompasses every single thing. As we said, Muslim, Kafir, Jinn, uh, Insect, Animal, everything experiences the mercy of Allah. In this dunya. Whether it's the air we breathe, the food we drink, the, the, the eat, food we eat, the, the, the drink we drink, the clothes we have on our back, the roof on our head, our family, our companions, our this, our that, our money, everything comes from the mercy of Allah. Tayyip. But that's in a general sense. As for the specific type of mercy, it's specific to the believers. And this is the special mercy of Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahim that we, that we mentioned. Makana bin Mu'minina Rahima. He shows to the believers in this world of Iman, your belief, your aqeedah, your pure aqeedah that we believe in of Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah is a great mercy from Allah, none greater than it. Our ilm that, we've, that Allah bestows upon us, our obedience to Him, our steadfastness in this deen, on, upon this deen, this is the special mercies of Ar-Rahim that He gives to the believers alone. And in the Akhirah, He will enter them into paradise and save them from the fire. Special mercies that only the true believers will experience that comes from Ar-Rahim. Tayyib, um, no doubt this is a fact with, with many of the favors of Allah, done in a gentle manner and to a specific manner to the, to the, to the believers and also Allah Azza wa Jal to make us of them. So, that again takes us back to the difference that we mentioned. Ar-Rahman, the one who's described with mercy, in a general sense, is full of mercy. And Ar-Rahim is the one who shows the mercy. The shower of mercy. So again, how do we translate it? Could, be, could, be, could the shower be the most compassionate or the most merciful? And the owner of mercy be uh, the most compassionate or the entirely merciful? I think the translations goes both ways because in reality they don't truly capture the names of Allah perfectly. So it's, it's much better to have a deeper understanding as opposed to just understanding the names by its literal translations. Um, another difference we said is Ar-Rahman shows mercy in a general sense to all whilst Ar-Rahim shows it specifically, especially to the believers. Uh, and I think both uh, interpretations hold weight. Both interpretations are correct. 
and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us an understanding, we ask Allah to make us of those who learn for his sake and to act upon the knowledge and not to make the knowledge a proof against us. Amin ya Rabbil Alameen. Next week we'll continue bi-idhnillah with the rest of the Fatiha. The, the, now we're going through the explanation as we went through the Basmala now. We explain the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim as well as its status and importance and, and wisdoms. Next week we'll continue with Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen and we will break it down so we get a, a better understanding of these ayat. Um, and we should finish with the Fatiha insha'Allah next week bi-idhnillah ta'ala in terms of the meanings of the Fatiha. Amin Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.